Well, in case you're wondering, uh, Pastor Mark and Judy right now are in, in Florida. They had the opportunity this last week to, uh, to participate in, uh, in something that only comes around every couple of years uh, within the Wesleyan Church is a, a, a great uh, time of meeting called The Gathering that happens as uh, Wesleyan pastors are able to come together and converge together on, uh, in, in, uh, in Florida uh, and uh, suffer for Jesus a little bit, I guess. Uh, in the warmer weather uh, and, uh, and be able to, to be encouraged over a couple of days uh, through, uh, through some, some godly worship and, and, and uh, times in the Word uh, together. So if, uh, if you guys want to just uh, join me in, in prayer for Pastor Mark and Judy that, uh, that they come back to us and that, uh, no, they're, they're coming back. Uh, I, I assured him that his name would still be on the website uh, and still in the program when he got back. So, But you guys can be praying for them that they have a, a good rejuvenating time uh, as, they're, as they're at the gathering, as they take a little bit of time afterwards for, for some vacation and, and that, uh, that God would bring them back restored and ready for, uh, for what God has planned next for Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. Um, don't want to spoil anything uh, for that, but, uh, but I'm excited to see what God is doing uh, in and through this place and what he's going to continue to do here in the future. Well, this morning, I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if you are like this at all or not, but I am fascinated. I'm fascinated by, by family heritage. I'm really, really fascinated to know where people ha- have come from, their stories, uh, and uh, and, I, and I find that oftentimes that that those stories uh, those stories can really have these big generational impacts. Um, a couple of years ago, a really really good friend of mine uh, is actually one of my best friends for for about 18 years. A guy by the name of Matt Keith. Uh, he and his family did a little bit of digging into into their family heritage and, and made some some pretty astonishing discoveries. Uh, the Keith family knew that they were of Scottish descent. After all, the, the Keith clan uh, was, uh, is, is historically known. Uh, and, uh, and, but what they learned during their, their research was that the, the Keith clan served the, the king of Scotland as, as the Mariscal or the marshal uh, serving alongside of the, the, the king of, of Scotland, uh, protecting him, providing safety and security directly to the king and they were the custodians of the royal regalia. They discovered that their clan motto is a, a, a phrase, uh, vince, uh, veritas vincet, or truth prevails. This, uh, this family motto inspired one William Keith to invite the Reformation leader John Knox to Scotland, and there was great revival that happened. And today, that, that phrase inspires my friend to, to live out the gospel or, or to live out the good news of Jesus in places where truth is desperately needed. And when he shared this news with me, I, I was astonished. And, uh, and I love talking about him, uh, this with, with him because, uh, because several years back, my family had done a, a, a similar, had, had made some civil, similar discoveries. You see, in, in my family history, there's, a, there's stories of the Gilman family. And these were ancestors on my dad's side. And, and some of the most notable things that we discovered about the Gilmans were that um, one of our relatives was kicked out of England, uh, exiled, because they delivered tactical information to the King of Scotland 
during some of the, uh, the long-standing conflict between the two nations. This particular Gilman uh, did not come over to the States on any type of you know, colonial ship or any great like pilgriming, pilgrimages or explorations. No, he came over because he was sent to the penal colonies in Massachusetts, where later his brother would break him out from. And then a descendant of that, of that family, Nicholas Gilman, another rabble-rouser, uh, would go on to sign the Constitution of the United States. And while I can't confirm it, I think that the reason that Matt and I are such good friends is because it runs in the family. I mean, at least that's what I'd like to think anyway. There are enough of those, you know, connecting points. Well, this morning, we're going to be taking a look into a family whose decisions in the midst of incredible adversity connects their family story with ours and how their heritage can impact yours today. And like many family stories, there are beginnings and there are endings. And this morning, we're going to begin at one of the ends. We're going to be looking at the book of Ruth for the next two weeks. And we're going to be starting in, in chapter 1. It's going to be on page uh, 210 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It's also going to be on the, the screen here. But uh, Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And it says this. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. She was defeated and angry. When they had left Israel, Naomi and her husband Elimelech were searching for a place to escape the famine in the land. And they landed in the country of Moab. It's a, it's a valley uh, running north and south of the Dead Sea. And while there was scarcity in Israel, there was plenty in Moab. And with two sickly children, they needed sustenance, and they found it there. During their stay in Moab, Elimelech died, but their sons, Malon and Kilian, found wives, Orpah and Ruth. Well, we don't know of the length of time between these events, we do know that Naomi would later bury her sons, leaving three widows in a land that was not her own, far, far away from family. And as she returned to her home, she was greeted with exceptional warmth. But her response was ruthless bitterness. Don't call me Naomi, 
she snapped. Call me Mara. She continued, I went away, but the Lord brought me back empty. She left in famine and returned with famine of a different kind. And while we don't catch this in the English translation, there are, there's an incredible significance to the words that Naomi uses. She casts accusations against God using his name El Shaddai, which means my God provides, if you didn't grow up in the era of Amy Grant singing about that. She cites her emotional and her physical poverty. And then there was her name, a reminder of what was no more. You see, Naomi means pleasant. Naomi means pleasant where Mara means bitter. I've shared with, this with you guys in the, in the past that in Hebrew culture, that names had an incredible significance. They would either signify who a person was or who they would be. And in her state, Naomi, Naomi was indeed Amara. She was bitter. She lost her husbands, her husband, sorry, her sons, and returned to her home country bankrupt. Was she justified in her grievance? Or was there more going on? Maybe, maybe you have felt the same way. Maybe there are some of you here today that you're in a season right now where you would say, call me Mara. Don't call me Pleasant. It's hard to see beyond our circumstances sometimes, isn't it? It's almost like a, like a thick fog that kind of hangs hangs around us. It's, it's really hard to see anything beyond what's immediately present. And it takes a climate change in order to chase the fog away. And it may be where you are at right now, but you can't stay here. We're going to take a look this morning at areas where famine strikes. Where famine strikes. There is this consistent thread throughout scripture that there is nothing that our enemy there's nothing that satan hates more than seeing god's creation thrive after all we we see time and time again in scripture uh, where it says that all creation displays the glories of god this is something that he knows all too well and Peter would write in, in one of his epistles that, 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 that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whoever he might devour. And while he has no power or dominion over us, I'm continually amazed at the obvious nature of his attacks when the people of God are right in the center of what God is up to. And when God is, the midst, is in the midst of working out wonderful, new, and redemptive things. 
When I was in college, um, I knew that God, I, I, I had this, this sense that God was moving in my life uh, during some of those seasons, and, and when that would happen, I would have struggles in, in a couple of different areas that I could pinpoint. I, I would struggle financially. I would struggle with, with relationship issues, or my 1994 Chevy Astro van, which I'm gonna put a picture of, the, of up on the screen, um, my, my 1994 Chevy Astro van, there you can see it. Uh, it's two-tone teal. Uh, you can't really see it on the back, but there are silver flames that are coming out the back of that. Uh, her name was Sheila, if any of you wanted to know. Um, my, 1990, my 1994 Chevy Astro van would break down. Of course, I used to joke around in college that God knew that I couldn't afford a dating relationship because I had a minivan, and it cost me enough money. <laughs> I mean, it all worked out because then, you know, shortly after college, I met ba Bailey, we, we married and got rid of the van and it hasn't cost me a dime since. So it's all good. But all jokes aside, it's not uncommon for us to experience areas of famine in areas where we place our trust and where we place our hope. And so it's important for us to consider two questions as we look at areas of famine. Where... Is our trust placed? And where is our hope found? Where is our trust placed? Where is our hope found? Now, I don't know about you, but I find that I often struggle with, with placing my faith in the pragmatic, in what I can see and understand like, I know how much money is in my bank account. I know how much gas is in my tank. I know how much food is in my cabinets and who I can lean on when things get messy. But unfortunately, each one of those things is a finite resource. And we have a heavenly father who loves us and wants to provide for our needs. There are three areas where we can find in this particular chapter in which Naomi's st stability had come from, and chances are we've found ourselves in places like these too. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are three things that come out of this particular set of verses. The first thing is, is letter A, health. Now, health is great when you have it, isn't it? We can and should take, be good caretakers of what God has given to us in our health. But no matter how well you take care of yourself, no matter how far uh, medical technology advances, it is all subject to decay. We read that in Romans where it says that the earth groans waiting for the redemption of the children of God, but, but all of creation is groaning in the midst of this. Unfortunately, Naomi's family seemed to have a deficiency of, of health. Remember my remark earlier about the significance of names? Well, the sons of Elimelech, Malon and Kilian, their names meant sickness and consumption. For somewhere around a decade, Moab provided temporary relief from this knowledge, but there was an ever-present reminder of the state that these men carried with them. The degradation of health also meant another foundation was being chipped away at, letter B, security. 
Elimelech and Naomi left Israel during a time of famine and they found their security in, in plenty that was found in Moab. They made the safe choice. We all kind of like safe choices, don't we? They're, they're familiar, they're, they're easy. And if you don't believe me, let's, let's do a little bit of a, a thought experiment here. Um, right now, and, and some of you probably already have this figured out, you've got, you're like, you came in with your A game here this morning. Right now, if somebody asks you, hey, where do you want to go to eat after the service here this morning, do you have like that place that you would like, like that, yeah, there's the, there's the place, that's where we're going. Now that you have that place in your mind, what are you gonna order off of the menu? You probably know that thing too. You probably have your, your regular safe choice that you probably go to, and I've probably lost you now for the rest of the message. You're like, oh man. I'm really looking forward to that uh, quesadilla fajita at Azul Tequila, and it's going to be so good just, now that you're all hungry. But some of you know exactly what you would, you would do. You know what I'm talking about. So, safety and familiarity aren't always bad things, but, but when we lean on the security of those things, sometimes that can remove our trust in what God might do if we leaned a little bit into the uncomfortable, if we leaned a little bit into the unfamiliar. And I know I've asked this question before, but it bears repeating because it's something that, that, that's a, a continual question of mine, and that's this. What are the things right now in my life? What are the things in your life right now? And I'm not talking about bad circumstances here, but what are the things that you are doing right now that require you, that require you to trust fully in the movement of God in your life? Do we truly believe that God is a God of the miraculous still? Or do we find ourselves stuck in the places where we place our hope and where our confidence is found in what is secure and safe? You know, as, as Christians, we, we live in this really difficult place of, of placing our trust in an all-powerful God who can do miraculous things and living in a broken world where bills need paid and mouths need fed. We live in this tension of, of placing our faith in, the, in things unseen with our present realities calling for our attention. In talking about worry over matters of security, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 through 34, that instead of worrying, he says this, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Earlier in that section, Jesus would instruct them to, to look at the, the birds and the flowers and how they're clothed in splendor, and how they, they're fed. And he said, if, if, you have, if there's a, a, a heavenly father who cares about them, how much more? How much more does he care about you? How much more does he want to provide for you? He would assure his hearers, and I would assure you the same thing today.
you have a heavenly father. And, and while you may have had an earthly father who's let you down, you have a heavenly father who never will. You have a heavenly father who knows your needs and who is working things out for your good. Trust him. It may not arrive in your timing. His timing is always perfect though. And he is not in the business of ditching his kids. God is not a deadbeat dad. Okay, that brings us to the final place where we often find our safety and our security, our relationships. God has designed us for a relationship with one another. It's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about connect groups is because we've been able to see loving relationships grow between the church, between you guys. That's been a beautiful, wonderful thing. But sometimes we can, we can lean so hard in our earthly relation, into our earthly relationships that we, we almost venerate them to a, a place that's maybe a little bit inappropriate. And in this situation with Naomi, we can't minimize the loss of family members and the trauma that Naomi went, to, went through. She was a, she was a mother and, and, and she was a, a wife who was far away from home. Her focus was on nurturing her, her husband and her kids and her identity was completely wrapped up in caring for them and they were gone. She was left mourning the loss of family members but also losing her identity in the midst of it as well. What I'm about to say is, is, is probably a whole message in and of itself, but there, there are things that are, are kind of appropriate to talk about when we talk about our relationships. And so this, is, this kind of applies across the board, whether you're young or old, married or single, settled down or itching to mingle. No one, no one, no one will ever complete you. And think about the crushing weight of that sentiment anyway for a moment. There's, a, uh, there's a, an author, his name is John Acuff, who, uh, who shares a little bit about this idea, and I'm gonna personalize his illustration here a little bit. Think about what it would be like, or how ridiculous it would be if on my wedding day, if I'm looking across the platform at Bailey, and I said, Bailey, I love you, and I won't ask a lot from you. All I want from, from our marriage is for you to make up all of the disappointments from my past, for you to deal with all of the baggage from my poor decisions, to, to fill in the relational weak points that I have with my family, and to love me in my emotional instability. And if you could do that all by next Tuesday, that'd be the best. I love you so much. If she didn't run at that point, like she'd be insane. That's way too much pressure to put on another human being. Yes, in relationships, you work through those things, and, but, but relationships were never meant to be the cure for all that ails us, especially marriages. If you're single here this morning, I, I would implore you, set godly standards in who you date, um, but work on your relationship with Jesus first. Discover contentment in him. 
And along the way, ask yourself this pointed question from Andy Stanley. Are you the person, the person that you're looking for is looking for? Or, or are you the person, the person that you want to date wants to date? Okay, moving on. If you're married, love Jesus more than your spouse because that's gonna help you love your spouse better. Husbands, learn what it means to lay down your life for your bride as Christ laid down his life for his church. And wives, learn to submit to your husbands and follow their leadership as the church is led by Christ. If you have kids, parents, love Jesus more than your kids and trust him with them. Also, put your spouse before your kids too. Your kids will learn what love looks like by watching you. Yes, God created us for relationships with each other. We should not neglect them. He's given us our physical health and we should steward it well. He's allowed us to live in places of security, but these things were never intended to take the seat that belongs solely to him. And while this is not an exhaustive list of the areas where we place our hope, know this. If you remain where famine reigns, you will not. If you remain where famine reigns, you will not. You will not last for long. Sometimes we stay, though, in places of bankruptcy because it's all we know. Naomi's story is a, is a hard one to hear. In her bitterness, she takes God to task, yet he is not absent from the situation. I think the thing that I appreciate the most about seeing a story like hers is that it reminds us that it reminds us that God is bigger. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows where there are those areas of anger. He, know where, he knows where there are those areas of hurt. He knows where there are areas of bitterness. And I would encourage you, in those moments, let him know. Cry out to God. The beauty of Naomi's story is that it doesn't end here, that there's more that's going on. By the end of the book, we see incredible redemption. And we see generations later, generations later, we see a king named David who would emote very similarly throughout the Psalms. He would, he would share of the glories of God and the wonders of, of, of God's faithfulness, but he would also express deep sorrow. See, God has created us as, as emotional beings. It's okay to emote to him. He can take it. He's got bigger shoulders than anyone that I know. But leave it there. You can't stay here. This isn't the end of the story. It is only one story. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the other side of it next week. 
So if we talked about it, I'd keep you here through next week, but you can't stay here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that there are stories like Naomi's that are included on the pages of Scripture. Thank you that you are not, you're not a God who gussies things up and, and leaves us with a, with a picture of things that are, are just attainable, but you are in the midst of the mess. And so God, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where everyone is at here this morning, but, but we've all carried in with us different experiences and different baggages of, of things that we've, we've either gone through or are presently going through, and you know those things. And so God, I, I, I pray that you would encourage us to find moments to get alone with you, to express the, the, the things that are on our heart, but also to trust you and to hear from you words of comfort. And God, in the midst of that, I, I pray that you would give us incredible boldness to follow you, even, even when we don't know what's going on. God, we trust you and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.